Let's pray together. Father, it's good to sing the doxology one more time to hear the call of the psalmist who says, Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And so even the angels praise you, Father. Praise him, all you angels, you his servants who do his bidding and obey his word. Praise him, all you heavenly host, you who are his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in all his dominion. And yes, praise the Lord, oh my soul. Praise his holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So it's good to worship with you, especially this is a service uh, this Thanksgiving. We started this some 21 years ago. It was the first time I think Tallowood ever came forward for the Lord's Supper. Now it's just become the way we, we do it, but we do it with song. So on this day, look, there, Maundy Thursday is somber as it should be, but on this day, we come singing to the Lord's table. If you think of it, we don't come to the church to sing. We come singing to church. We are a people who teach each other, the Bible says. We speak to each other with psalms and with hymns and with spiritual songs. And the songs we sing teach us the very things that we believe. So we encourage each other and we glorify God with all wisdom. We are admonishing each other and teaching each other as we sing to the Lord. And just, if I may, on a personal note, I'm so glad to get to be with you this morning. Our family does this rotation thing where um, we share Thanksgiving and Christmas. Some of you do this too with our kids' in-laws. So this is the year we all get to get, be together for Christmas. On Christmas Eve, we're going to be up here lighting candles with uh, our, our newborn granddaughter, Josie, it's going to be amazing to get to be together. But on Thursday, I think it's just going to be me and Melanie this year. And I don't know if you've ever had a Thanksgiving where you were just kind of by yourself. But we've had a couple of years like that, and it's just kind of weird. Now, Friday, everybody's kind of coming in. At least some of them are coming in on Friday. But on Thursday, it's just us. And I was thinking as we are thanking God today... If you took a second just to ponder, what's the best thing that happened to you this week? This month? We're almost done with 2019 this year. This life. What's the best thing? And was it, if I may ask, was it something material? Was it financial or economic? Or was it, as I suspect, relational? Did it have to do with relationship with God? 
And I only ask because I get the sense sometimes, the pervasive wave that I seem to run into is this idea that if, if everything's okay economically, everything's okay. And I'm just reminded on this day that the, what if the best gifts of life are not material at all? What if the best gifts of life are really relational? So the best thing that happened to me this week, just for full disclosure, was um, I was um, up in Waco and I was speaking at the Texas Baptist Convention on Monday night, and I had a lot of work to do to get ready to preach. I just kind of camped out in my hotel room all day and, and studied and turned down breakfasts and lunches and coffee meetings and an interview. I still think I owe somebody an interview uh, on, on video, but I just like I've got to study and make my heart ready. And the whole time I was preparing, members of this church who were there were praying for me. So I'm getting texts from them like, the first thing we did when we woke up this morning was to pray for you as you preach tonight. And in some way, that, that helped me. And then that morning, I went for a run, as I've done so many times in my life, along a river. This seems to be a, a river runs through my life, to quote the title of that book and movie. There's a river that runs through my life, and I find myself at my best sometimes just jogging beside a river, and the river happened to be the Brazos, the um, arms is what that means in Spanish. Some of you know, but it's a short for, it was originally called three words, the Brazos de Dios, the arms of God. And I'm telling you, as I jogged along that river and I looked at it, I've seen it lots of ways, but on this particular day, it was completely placid. It looked like a lake. There were no wind. Uh, there, was, there were no waves. There were no white caps. It was just, I'm just jogging along this river. And for all the world, I felt like I was running in the arms of God. And I would run through a little patch of woods in Cameron Park, and then I would come back, and that river was there again. And as I ran along, I'm telling you, you were with, with me because I kept thinking about the faces of the people in this church with whom we share life and how you have become in these years our family, how we have, as we did today, rejoiced with those who rejoice. And sometimes we have wept with those who weep because that's what it means to be a family. And the song that came to me right when I woke up this morning was that old hymn, Like a River Glorious is God's perfect peace, over all victorious in its bright increase. Perfect yet it floweth, fuller every day. Perfect, yet it groweth deeper all the way. Stayed upon Jehovah. Hearts are fully blessed. Finding, just like he promised, perfect peace and rest. And to make my point, running on that river, that river, the promise of God's peace, it all didn't cost me a thing. I mean, there was no cash register where I could go and say, well, let me pay you. All I could do was offer my thanks to God. And somehow, peacefulness and thankfulness came together in this magnificent collision in my soul. And if you can ever get in between peace and, and gratitude when they're coming hard at each other, and you can just get in the middle and just feel that collision, it's just unforgettable. And the Apostle Paul knew that. Just one verse, Colossians 3, verse 15. Hear the word of the Lord together today. Let's stand together. 
Colossians 3, verse 15, where Paul simply says, let, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. So like the arms of God, that river that starts somewhere up near Hillsboro and Lake Whitney and flows through Waco and then down through Bryan College Station and then all the way down to the coast. So I've noticed as I've studied Colossians with you over these months, almost unexpectedly coming out of nowhere, I'll come into a new passage and, and like the river that kept showing up, gratitude just keeps showing up in this letter. So he starts out talking about how thankful he is for these people in Colossae, even though he's never met them, because he knows that they know Christ. And that's all he needs to know, to know that they have everything in common. And as he continues, he says in, in chapter 2, verse 7, let gratitude overflow. Let it overflow like a cup that's overflowing. Just let it overflow. And then in these verses in chapter 3, he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as one body you were called to this. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I think of peace, I think, do I have, do I have any peace about this? Like it's some internal feeling in my soul. And I don't want to diminish that today. I just want to observe that in the scripture, peace is considerably more communal than that. So it's not just about what I'm feeling today, but it's about how I'm relating to other people, so much so that I don't think you can take this verse and set it apart from what we call the Haustafeln or the family table that he describes where he talks about the right way for husbands and wives and parents and children to relate to each other. And you get the feeling that from Paul's point of view, the shalom of God is such an enormous river that it has the power to transform not only our individual hearts, but to bring us into communities in which husbands and wives love each other and live lives of mutual submission. Communities where parents and children love each other respectfully in the Lord. Communities where we discover that God's work in our hearts in Christ is enough to break down every barrier known to man. So he's already said Christ is all and in all. So it's not about being Jew or Gentile or barbarian or Scythian. It's not about being slave or free, male or female. Christ is all. Christ is in all. And he's enough. So we notice in these verses just two thoughts I wanted to share with you. First, there in verse 15, notice that the peace of Christ covers us from the inside out. Not only does gratitude keep coming up in this book, but 
Jesus keeps coming up in this letter to the Colossians, and it's not by accident. It turns out that Christ is the source of our peace, and Christ is the source of our gratitude, and, and the connection of peace with gratitude really is Christ, who at the Last Supper with his disciples holds up bread and holds up a cup filled with the fruit of the vine and gives thanks knowing, he says, this is my body, but he knows as he, as he gives thanks for that bread and breaks it that it represents his body that's going to be crucified in less than 24 hours. He holds up that cup and says, this is my blood, knowing that his blood is going to flow like a river down a cross, down through the, the centuries, down through the ages. You can see it in the cross in this beautiful, I just thought of this, this beautiful stained glass where the cross is there, but if you'll look closely, there are drops of blood flowing down, giving birth. And if you look closely, there's a, the doorway to a tomb there, and then there's a plant because it turns out wherever Christ's blood falls, it gives birth to life. So we're a, a life-giving congregation, and the, the love of Christ fills us. And this is such a contrast. So when I get back from my beautiful morning run along the Arms of God River and this halcyon morning of just being with God and thanking Him for this church family, then I get back and, and, and I hear there's a newspaper with a headline and there's a radio on in my car as I'm, as I'm driving uh, to buy a onesie for my new granddaughter because that's what grandfathers do apparently, a little Baylor onesie. And, I'm, and, and in, in my car and on every television set, there's conflict. And I'm telling you, it just brought to life that verse. You know this verse whenever you read the Psalms of the Ascents and you get into the first one and it says... Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. And I am for peace. But when I speak, they are for war. And there's this sort of enormous conflict everywhere we look. And I just want to tell you, it's pervasive in our culture. And that water will get in our boat if we're not careful. And so the anger of the culture becomes our anger, and we become angry. And, and who does that anger go to? It goes to our families. It goes to our spouses. It goes to our children. It goes to our, our fellow workers in our workplace or to our neighbors. And my friends, the Greasons, who ministered so well in Bangladesh and India, when they would go into a community trying to share the gospel, oftentimes there was not a Christian in the whole village. And what they looked for, this is their word, a person of peace. If they could find a person who wasn't angry at them be because they had arrived in the city but offered them hospitality, as Jesus said, they would go in into this person of peace. And often that person might become the very first convert to Christ in that city and I was thinking, so who's the, in a world at war, who's the person of peace like in your office? That people know I can go there and there's not anger because a gentle answer turns away wrath. Harsh words stirs up anger, but a gentle answer. Who's the person of peace on the street that you live on, in the house that you live in? Who's the person of peace? And what he says is, 
the peace of Christ rules. It actually, it's the word for, the word, they didn't have this word because they didn't have baseball, but it's the word for umpire. It's the adjudicator, the arbiter, the mediator of peace. Who's the one who brings peace? And, and he says, let the peace of Christ. So in Ephesians 2.14, we read, he himself is our peace, having broken down the wall of hostility. Jesus brings peace, and his peace can be the umpire in our hearts. The other place he uses that word, that Greek word, braboi, eto, is when he talks about the false teachers, and he says, don't let them rule the day. Don't let them be the umpire, the adjudicator, the arbiter of what's right and wrong with their rules and their regulations and their dietary laws and their keeping of calendar days and their diminishing of others and and putting other people as second-class citizens in the kingdom. No, don't, don't let them rule the day. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, plural, in your hearts. And the peace of Christ covers us from the inside, and if we don't prevent it, it'll come from the inside out, and we'll become those people that Jesus talked about. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons and the daughters of God. And, and Isaiah predicted it, didn't he? He said, you will keep in perfect peace who those whose minds are steadfast. The King James Version, it's in that, that hymn I quoted whose minds are stayed on you, you will keep them in perfect peace because they trust in you. And then this admonition, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord himself is the rock eternal. He covers us and then he calls us. So notice it's relationally. So he says, for your one body, we can't hurt each other without hurting ourselves because we're connected to each other. That's why it's so wrong when we see in our culture Christians waging war and, and saying snarky and snide things about each other. That's why it's, it's so wrong for, for us to diminish others in the body of Christ publicly. Paul would say to the church at Corinth, I can't believe you're doing this in front of a lost world attacking each other. In the body of Christ, we should be, we're one body and Christ has called us to peace, to be peacemakers, to wage peace, to practice random acts of senseless kindness, to to love each other as Christ loved us. And as he portrays this kind of love and invites us into that kind of relationship, he envisions a body of Christ where all the barriers are broken down. So when I'm I'm, I'm preaching up in, in Waco this week. I've got um, a text that afternoon. Um, you know, I never start preaching at 9 o'clock at night. Nobody's awake and nobody stays at these conventions. People will just leave, you know. And I'm, so I'm praying, and my, my friend, Carrie Tillman, who preached for me when I was on sabbatical this summer, um, he, he's a pastor down in Galveston for 35 years at the same church, which is, I'm just in awe of, to carry the weight as the senior pastor, the full weight of that church for 35 years, to be the dean of the pastors, the moderator of the local association, the president of the state convention. He's let me preach in each of those gatherings. And he says to me, so where and when are you preaching today? Because he's not a part of that convention, but he, he wants to know. And I said, so I'm preaching tonight at the Waco Convention Center, and I'm probably not going to get up till 9 o'clock. And I said, skeptically, not cynically, I hope, but 
I may be the only one in the room. <laughs> I may preach to myself. And he said, I said, I said, nobody's going to be there. And he said, well, I'm going to be there. So he drives up. And I think you may understand what I mean. For Kerry, preaching is a team sport. You're not in it alone. So I start to preach, and I see him at the back, and I am empowered by his presence, and he begins to share with me in the sermon words of encouragement, and others begin to encourage me. And, and God is working in ways that I'm like just grateful for, and I'm thinking, I'm so grateful for my friend. And then on Friday night, he invited me to come and preach at his 35th anniversary, and I sit down at the head table with his family because that's the way he and I think of each other. So I kind of feel like his daughters, Carisha and Carrie and Jackie, I kind of feel like they're my daughters. And Carrie, his youngest, who I've seen grow up, she brings what he called her, uh, her friend a boo, a boo, brings a boo, a boy, a bow, I don't know, with her. And immediately with him, I'm like paying attention. Like, who are you who dares to date my friend's daughter, who, who, are, who are you? And I, so I'm sitting next to him, and I'm grilling him because that's what dads do at dinners like that. And Carrie was busy at the front, so I'm helping out. And, you know, Carrie had already gotten his Social Security number and things like that. So then I was just doing, like, the cleanup going, she, you know, she's really great. I mean, she's great. And so anybody who would dare today would have to be great. Are you great? And he's just looking at me like, who are you? And... And I, I thought them seating me at that table is just a reminder that, that in Christ we've become family. He's preached at my church and I've preached at his church. And, and all, all the things in this world that might divide are broken down in Christ. And we're just, we just love each other. And his continued love to me is a reminder of God's grace every day to me. And I'm so thankful for him. And this is how we respond to the grace of God in our lives. We, we give thanks for His goodness and His grace because it, it covers us. And so we become those people, as he says, who in one, in one family share together. And one of the ways we come together is at the table. And the good news about this, like the run on the river, is it doesn't cost a thing. Because the price has been paid, as 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, not with perishable things. Our, our peace with God can't be bought with, with perishable, trivial things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. God paid the price so that we could come to his table, so that we could eat and drink together and remember what God has done for us. I heard about a guy named Macaulay, who kind of like me and Melanie this Thursday. He had been through some painful things, and he was alone on Thanksgiving, but he didn't want to be alone on Thanksgiving, so he invited 12 friends. This was back in 1985. He invited 12 people to come and share with him Thanksgiving. But he, the, the cost to them was they had to take a piece of paper and write down one thing they were grateful for and put it in the basket. And he got to keep the basket, and then at, at painful moments in the year that followed, he would just pull one out and read what they were grateful for. He's been doing this for 34 years. Macaulay, 34 years he's been doing this. One year, a lady paid an ambulance $200 to take her to the meal so that she could be with him in his gathering on Thanksgiving. And, uh, the, 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 and he reads those beautiful words of Thanksgiving, and the most beautiful one um, from a guy 
whose name was Jeff, Jeff Shanklin, who lives alone, has attended every dinner for 34 years, and he said he really enjoys passing Thanksgiving on to the lonely people in Melrose. For people like me with nowhere to go, Scott is family. And I was thinking, that's who we're supposed to be. For the people who have nowhere to go and feel alone in the world, this table reminds us that in Christ, we are family. So can I pray for us as we come to the Lord's table, as we come singing gratefully to his table? Let's pray together this morning. Father, we're so thankful for your goodness and your grace. We're thankful for your son who took bread and the cup and said, this is my body and this is my blood and shared it with us. And we couldn't afford to pay you the price for our sins. We can't afford to purchase the body that was broken and the blood that was shed. So you give these gifts to us freely to whosoever will come and receive your grace. God, you give grace freely. And aren't we grateful for grace, God? Where would we be without grace? Carrie Tillman saying, I've made it this far because of grace. And Lord, that's our story. So would you help us to make the journey to the table with the realization that underneath are the everlasting arms, the arms of God carrying us forward. And thank you, God, that there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And we sinners who are plunged beneath that flood lose all our guilty stains. And we are grateful. How can we not be grateful? In Jesus' name, amen.